Welcome to Link to Hope, a podcast from Kentucky Cancer Link. I'm your host, Ben Keaton. Until there's a cure for cancer, Kentuckians need hope today. Link to Hope is a monthly podcast featuring experts discussing ways to remove barriers for Kentuckians in need of screening, diagnosis, and treatment for cancer. In this episode, we will talk about helping people who are beginning their cancer journey. We are joined by Joan Scales, Psych Oncology Program Director and Licensed Clinical Social Worker with Marquis Cancer Center. Before we get to today's interview, I'd like to bring in Melissa Carr with Kentucky Cancer Link to talk about our guest. Melissa, I'm excited about today's conversation with Joan. Um, I think the licensed clinical social, social worker is, is a really interesting component of the kind of overall cancer journey. Um, and you had suggested that this is a conversation that, uh, that we should have on this podcast. And I'd love to get your take on why you thought it was an important conversation to have um, and, and you know, the relationship between Cancer Link and Marquis Cancer Center. Yeah, you know, I think that the mental health aspect of a cancer diagnosis is is sometimes um, put on the back burner because, you know, we're so focused on the physical um, healing of treatment and um, procedures and that. And the resources that Joan and her crew and, you know, all of the licensed clinical social workers um, really do make an impact. And this, you know, this was an important conversation for me because, you know, personally, um, it meant a lot to me to have support during and after, you know, my treatments and things. And, and I just really want people to know that it is a resource. And if it hasn't been mentioned for whatever reason, to ask their providers and just make it part of the conversation and to not be ashamed, you know, and not feel like you're alone because you're not. I think our combined goal with this conversation is to make sure that uh, people like Joan are not the best kept secret within an organization. Uh, And and I just hope more people understand that there are plenty of resources out there and that they should be taking advantage of those resources uh, during their cancer journey. Definitely. And that they can help um, link them to, you know, organizations like ours um, because we get direct referrals from them that we can help um, meet the needs that, that patients have. So definitely important conversation. Well, great. Let's uh, move to our conversation with Joan and hear it directly from her. Sounds good. Today, we're talking with Joan Scales, who's with the Marquis Cancer Center. Uh, Joan, thanks for uh, joining us in today's conversation. Um, I'd love to just start with kind of an obvious question. Um, There's a lot of people that that touch cancer patients during their cancer journey. Um, You have a very special role in that. Can you talk a little bit about your role and how you interact with a patient who's um, just been diagnosed with cancer? Absolutely. So um, I am a licensed clinical social worker here at Marquis Cancer Center. Um, My official title is Psych Oncology Program Director. Um, I wear a lot of different hats, but probably one of the best ones is just getting to work with our patients as they go through this cancer journey, this world of unknown things that are going on around them. Um, We do many different things, wear many different hats. for, uh, we do some basic case management type things, help make, meet resources and um, address some barriers that patients may be experiencing. And then um, my favorite piece is just talking with them and counseling them through the cancer journey, letting them know that maybe what they're experiencing is not making them crazy. It's just part of the journey, unfortunately. So, Can you, can you talk a little bit about... Um, 
how that process works. Um, so maybe give some specifics on, you know, when do you first see a patient? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you interact with them? What kind of services are you offering them? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, we have a couple of screening tools that we use here at Markey that can identify patients for us. So sometimes we are calling or visiting in our clinics with patients um, that are initially here for a new patient appointment and um, and just trying to give them a rundown of things that they might need to know about what's going on and what services we can provide. And they... Um, will hopefully access those services um, if and when they need that. So, you know, at the very minimum, we are trying to give them some education about what is available to them. Uh, But there are only 10 of us here and a lot more patients, so we don't always get to see everybody. Um, We find patients um, through our providers. They'll call us and maybe they'll tell us that they have somebody who's um, newly diagnosed and they want us to see them. Or maybe they have somebody who's had a cancer recurrence and they want us to come and talk with them and help them kind of just process. Um, So we're able to run down to our clinics and and meet with patients in that respect. Um, We have a bone marrow transplant program. So we're meeting with patients as they are getting ready to um, enter the transplant process. And again, trying to provide that education and support and letting them know that, um, you know, if there are barriers, again, that we can address some of those type of issues. So sometimes we get phone calls from nurses um, saying something just doesn't seem right. Uh, Mrs. Such and such came in today and she just doesn't seem right. Can you come down and talk to her? And sure enough, we go down and we do what I like to think of as just peeling away the layers of the onion and um, and finding out that there's, you know, maybe a couple of little things or there's a whole lot of little things going on and it just kind of wears them down. So lots of different ways for us to come across patients here. It sounds like there's not kind of a typical day and that you're having to do a lot of different treatments is the wrong word, different um, procedures to to help address patients' concerns, kind of where they are on that particular day or or particularly in their journey uh, uh, in their cancer treatment. Absolutely. We do um, have many different, um, many different um Oh, shoot. I've lost that train of thought because I just remembered I had my pager on and I wanted to take that off so and so that it didn't go off in the in the pager. So repeat that. I'm so sorry. That, that's okay. So um, it, it sounds like there's not a typical day in, in the life uh, of providing these kinds of, of services. You know, everybody has different needs at different times. Um, how, how do you work with patients so that you can understand what they need at that particular time and, and where to point them to the resources that they might need? Yeah. Every day is a little bit different, so um, and that's probably one of my favorite things about the job. You sometimes you can plan things, and sometimes a lot of times it just all kind of falls apart. But but it's for the betterment of our patients, right? So that's the best reason to have those kind of last minute things that come up or creep up or things that arise or just the opportunities to get to meet with these folks. So we do try to sit with them and and talk with them, assess their needs. We try to um, see, you know, sometimes many of our patients are traveling. 50 miles or greater uh, away from Market Cancer Center. So if they're coming every day for radiation, how is that going to work if they're coming for the next six weeks for five days a week? So we try to address barriers like that, maybe um, offer them some resources, um, see what is available to them. Um, And in the process of that, again, talking about those peeling of the layers of the onion, you learn that maybe they're also caregiving for a loved one and um, an elderly parent or someone perhaps, and that they're not sure how they're going to balance that. Or maybe you just have a caregiver who's sitting in the corner of the room 
you know, equally shell-shocked and trying to absorb all this information. So we really try to, um, you know, basically provide like wraparound type services. So we're trying to look at everything from all different angles so that we can best support them and make them, um, help them give them the tools that they need to get through this cancer journey in a practical and pragmatic emotional sense. Sounds like you're offering a lot of different services and I'm assuming you can't do that by yourself. Um, so, so you, what kind of community partners do you rely on and how do you work with those community partners? Well, Kentucky Cancer Link is one of our biggest ones um, that we like to refer out to. They provide amazing resources and um, and help us address these barriers. Sometimes we come across situations that we don't really have the tools to do. I think a great example is like lymphedema sleeves for breast cancer patients. And, um, and I know that's something that Melissa and her team can provide on a regular basis, which is huge help for us. So we try to, again, look at the whole picture of what's going on and some of the needs and, um, and then continue to follow them throughout the continuum of care. So it's not just a one and done thing, too. Uh, we really want to uh, support them through that entire journey. All right, Melissa, I'm going to toss it over to you for a second. Uh, can you talk a little bit about kind of your working relationship with Joan? And once, once she refers a patient on to you, what does that relationship look like? Yeah, you know, we've really um, got a great relationship with her and her team. And as she mentioned, we're able to you know, provide you know, things at no cost to their patients, um, such as lymphedema garments, um, bras, process, you know, prosthetics, uh, wigs. They send a lot of referrals for wigs and then gas cards because transportation is a huge barrier. And as she mentioned, you know, a lot of these folks are traveling long distances. So uh, we try to help uh, there and then also work in you know, looking in their own communities and being an advocate there and kind of just we view ourselves in it as an extension, um, a link to hope as uh, for Markey Cancer Center to be able to just um, come alongside them with what they're already doing in so many amazing ways. And I love, Joan, how you talk about it as a cancer journey, because that truly is what it is. It's not a straight line. There's um, there's twists and turns and hills and valleys, but um uh, we just really appreciate their team and their confidence in us to be able to help their patients. We've talked a good bit about the idea of a cancer journey, and I really like the idea that it is not linear and that there are multiple paths, and sometimes those paths repeat. Um, so I'd love to hear from you, Joan, and, and maybe Melissa as well, about how you all kind of coordinate that and work together so that, so that you are making sure that a patient doesn't accidentally kind of fall through the cracks or, or, or maybe doesn't know to look for the resources that they need to look for. And so you can kind of help point them in the right direction. Our goal is really to help empower them and, um, and to, you know, give them the information so that they can make some really good decisions and put that information out there in front of them in a, a fashion that's not too overwhelming. So sometimes maybe if I'm seeing somebody for the first time, I might give a rundown of all these resources, or I might just pick like two or three of the most primary ones and then say, okay, I'm going to come and see you when you come next week or in 21 days or however many period of whatever period of time. And then continue to follow up and address some of these other areas of concern that could be prevalent. But um, we try to take care of the, the the most urgent ones first, so usually like transportation or lodging type services, and and then kind of piecemeal from there. And then I just, you know, I'm spoiled. So um, I know Melissa, and I'll just like email or quickly call, and I know how to find these girls, and I know how to track them down, and, and I will. <laughs> and, and then that, fortunately for me, they are very willing to um, help me and my team out um, every single time. 
Yeah, we do, um, you know, have great communication. And I, you know, as we said, you know, it's not, um, it's all through the continuum of care. So we know that even when we provide a service, they're going to be following up again with Joan and her team. So that I think helps alleviate some of those that may fall through the cracks because if by that next visit, if they have not yet heard from us or have not received the service, then they would, you know, make sure. So it's kind of a, uh, a double check there uh, to make sure that they're uh, getting what they need from us um, as well. So. And, and, and cancer journeys are often longer than, than just the clinical portion of, of, of a cancer treatment. Do you all offer services kind of afterwards and making sure that, you know, that we're staying in the loop and that, that folks are continuing to, whether it's, you know, scans to monitor or, other services that they might need after their clinical journey is over. Yes, absolutely. We do. We try to, um, as Melissa had mentioned, continuum of care. That's kind of one of my big things. So once we have met with somebody and established somebody, established care with somebody, we continue to follow them, whether, um, you know, six months from now and they're in survivorship and they're coming back in. Um, If they go over to the inpatient side for um, a neutropenic fever or treatment or whatever the case may be, um, we will go over there and we will try to see them and touch base with them. Um, So we... It's, and it's really it's really a great thing to be able to see them six months, a year after their treatment, you know, and maybe, you know, they're looking a lot better. Their skin is looking really good and they're just really, you know, they're in a good spot. And that's just really probably one of the, the most rewarding pieces of this work is um, helping them when they're at their sickest and watching them um, continue to evolve back into a picture of health. And, you know, I, I believe, you know, sometimes returning to the scene of the crime uh, where you did have your treatment and did can bring a lot of emotions mm-hmm. to the fact that they, you know, at those follow-up visits, you know, months and years out to know that they're still there to help address any um, anxiety issues or anything can just make, be very impactful. Scanxiety is a a term that we hear all the time. And, you know, people will call and be like, okay, I've got a scan next week. Can I come in and see you, Joan? And I'm like, absolutely. Let's schedule some time. And we kind of go through and we work out, work through the fears, use some CBT strategies to kind of help them cope with what they know is coming. Um, Because it is a real thing. It is a real thing. Um, You know, there are some patients who have, um, on some level, a PTSD, um, where they come in and they have these triggers or they'll hear machines beeping and they'll be, you know, kind of like triggered. So, you know, we are really trying to address a lot of those, those concerns for our patients, again, throughout that continuum of care, six months, a year down the road, whatever that might be. Well, we've all known that uh, the past year has presented plenty of challenges with the pandemic, um, and and I know that that's had a large impact on cancer care, and we've talked about that a, a good bit in this podcast in previous episodes. Um, I'd love to get your perspective on, you know, how you've seen the pandemic impact those um, on their cancer journey and how that maybe has changed the way that you all are offering, um, whether it's treatment and services or, or whether it's just compassion and, and a listening ear. Probably the, gosh, there's so many different ways to answer that question. In a practical sense of the word, you know, 
people were afraid to come here. So we're talking to him a lot and helping him counsel through those those worries and the concerns, letting him know that the measures that we're taking to help ensure that our patients are healthy and safe from COVID. Um, as we have all known, our um, economy has not been so well. So a lot of families have felt the financial pinch, if you will. So there was a lot of basic resourcing, again, that needed to be addressed, you know, maybe helping uh, meet some needs for um food, um, lodging, and people, who, again, who were coming. And one of our um, resources in the community, the um, Hope Lodge, had closed down. So we're looking at, you know, where can we place these patients if they're coming? Who can afford to drive an hour and a half to treatment every day, five days a week? Um, it's It can be a real pinch. So yeah, there were a lot of times and circumstances and situations where we were having to get creative and, and you know, call on our community partners and, um, and you know, entities within the community to see if they would be willing to help. And again, um, the emotional piece of it, you know, I'm a cancer patient and now there's this pandemic. I'm already immunosuppressed and now I can't do anything. I was already having to wear a mask all the time and now I'm really afraid to go outside. What do I do? How can I do this? So um, a lot of counseling. I think one of the ways we were able to innovate was really um, take more of an active stance with uh, telehealth. You know, we were able to um, conduct telehealth sessions um, to the phone extent even we would counsel people on the phone. Um, the Board of Social Work was like, yes, basically, you need to do what you need to do to help uh, the patients. And we were able to really successfully implement some of that in a relatively short period of time and, and still continue to offer that service too. So I guess that's one of the positive things that has come from this pandemic is the ability to be able to counsel and communicate over the phone and in a true therapeutic sense. You know, there are times when we are providing just uh, psychoeducation and um, uh, that type of just minimal support. But if we're really getting into the therapy aspect, it's really been helpful in that. So this uh, question is going to be really hard uh, to ask because there are um, a million answers. Um, but what are you most proud of in your career? And I've already heard a long list of things that you should be proud of. So um, <laughs> I'll give you a couple if you want. If you want to answer it a couple times, you're welcome to do that too. Oh wow! Well. Um, I I'm very proud of the fact that when um, when I was hired to come here to Markey, that there was myself and two other social workers, a, a navigator and a dietitian, um, and they, we were all within probably like an arm's reach length of each other. We were in this tiny little spot, and we've just really been able to grow our program. And you know, I now have um, ten social workers, uh, myself, and one other LCSW, and another one that will hopefully be joining us soon. And we are we have now two dietitians, so we've really been able to expand our nutrition services program and continue to monitor that. So I'm just really proud of the fact that, and thankful, um, I've had great support and just been able to take this program and grow because I know how important um the psychosocial and emotional support is for cancer patients. I've been doing this for a long time and I'm just, I'm proud of the fact that we've been able to do that. What is one thing that you wish more people knew about when they receive a cancer diagnosis? Well, my, my very biased answer, I really admit, <laughs> is I wish that all of them knew that social work was an essential member of the team. Um, sometimes we have people who maybe are a little resistant. They think they're doing okay. They don't need us. We, you know, they kind of want to keep you at arm's length. And I, um, you know, I'm, I'm just, um, 
wish that everybody knew that we were here and could access us easily. And they can if they know that they're here. Nothing makes me more sad than to know that somebody has gone through the treatment process. And this has happened, unfortunately. Um, and they're like, how did I not know you were here? And in, and in that respect, it's kind of like, oh, gosh, we really let this person down uh, because here they are now at the completion of treatment and we can still do some things and we can still offer some support. But some of that practical, pragmatic support that they were needing two months ago is now not an opportunity for them, so to speak, to, to utilize. And, and so they just muddled through on their own. And that just makes me very sad when that happens. Well, I hope today's conversation uh, will be insightful for some people and we can help spread the word about the great work that you are doing, not only at the Marquis Cancer Center, but the uh, licensed clinical social workers across the community. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity to get just to you know, talk about what we get to do. I love that. Well, thank you for doing what you do. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Joan. Bye. Thanks for being a part of our conversation. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and share on social media. We are back each month with a new episode. Please join us next time.